Declan, mate, thanks for coming on. I'm I'm so, so honoured and I'm grateful that you've made the effort to come in and, and sit on this podcast with me because I feel that there are a lot of people that are going to listen that can only hear you right now and don't get to see the man that I'm seeing right in front of me. If you could describe to the people that are just listening what it is that you've had to go through from early childhood, being born with a disability, and what are some of the things that we take for granted that you have to work through every single day, what would that be? Yeah, well, first off, thank you for having me. It's um, great honour to come on and speak with you. Um, to me, I guess my story starts right, right from birth. Um, so... I had a number that's really important to me, and that's 37. Um, and that number is actually the number of minutes that I did not breathe when I was born. So for the first 37 minutes of my life, um, I did not take a breath. Um, and that caused, because of the lack of oxygen, it caused some damage to my brain, and therefore I have cerebral palsy. Um, she classified as a disability. Um, so I've grown up with this my entire life. I know no difference to what I do, what I have. Um, and people, people constantly ask me what's wrong, what's, yeah, how can I help? Not really, how can I help? But why do you like this? And I know no difference. It is my life. It is the, the card that I would dealt. Um, and day to day, I I have pain in my body, nonstop. No matter what, no matter what I do, there is pain somewhere in my body. Um, on top of that, to me to go throughout my day to day life, I'm using the between two hundred and three hundred percent more energy than people that don't have cerebral palsy. Um, so fatigue is a massive factor. Um, and, yeah, having to deal with this going through life, using that much energy, expending that much energy, um, yeah, it creates great difficulty that... that you did go to work through it and live your best life, I think. Just keep going. I'm just going to adjust the mic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Now we're talking. Cool. Um, when you talk about, did you say two to three times more fatigue? Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying to think how I quantify that. So I, I, I go to do my, my job. I, I wake up, I go to the gym, I work. I'm tired when I get home. Yeah. Well, I think I'm tired. I try to get home and make some dinner, which most of the time I can't be fucked. So then I try to get a little bit of takeaway and, you know, maybe I've got some dependence at home. For me, I've got to, you know, I've just got myself. When you go home... How do you feel, and what is it that you do? Um, when I go home, I'm normally completely spent. Um, you know, it, my day normally consists of things sort of thing, going to the gym or going for a bike ride or, um, you know, doing some sort of physical activity and then going to work. Um, normally, by mid-afternoon, I'm completely done. I'm ready to fall asleep. So when I get home, there isn't anything that I do. It's just zone out. That's it. I'm done for the day. Um, which makes it really hard if I want to do something at night. They just I actually have to think about that throughout the day and go, okay, I need to prioritise what I'm actually doing so that I can go and spend time with friends or go and 
do whatever I want to do that night, go on a date or something like that. I had to prioritise how I'm going to spend my energy if I'm going to be able to get a nap in between work and going out. Um, get to maintain those energy levels um, and eat very well. I think that's really important. Eating, eating the appropriate amount to sustain myself throughout the day, which my intake in my expenditures two to three times the normal, and I put that in very close, um, then I had the intake two to three times the amount of calories than a so-called normal person. So you're constantly bulking? I'm, I'm, eating, like, I'm eating around 7,000 calories <laughs> a day. Um, 7,000 calories? Yeah. And that Fucking yeah, that's, hell. But just to maintain, but just to go through my day. For for those that don't even know how to count calories, I mean, I'm 91 kilos and I'm about six foot two and I have about two and a half thousand calories a day to maintain. Yeah. Maybe just a touch more. And you're telling me you have 7,000 calories a day to maintain. Yes. What the fuck do you eat? It between 6,000 and 7,000 calories a day. Are you having three um, palmers or like? <laughs> <laughs> See, you got to be, and my diet terrible because I've got to eat so much. The the way you get that many calories in is you've got to eat crap. You know, I'm eating chocolate bars, I'm eating cake, I'm eating, you know, I have a dietitian and she's telling me to go and eat a tub of ice cream. Like, it's... It's six to seven meals a day that because you gotta intake that much food. You gotta balance between okay, what is healthy and what's the right amount of energy. And sometimes you can't get that through um yeah, healthier meals. When you talk about you go home and you know you've Worked a long day. How old are you now, just for everyone listening? I'm 30. So you're a 30-year-old man. You go home. You do just as many hours as everybody else. And you put that quotation mark of normal in, you know, yeah. in inverted commas. And, and absolutely, because you do everything, no bars, yeah. that everyone else does. But you have to work three times as hard from an energy point of view. When you go home, do you have any reprieve? Do you have anyone at home? Is it you by yourself? What's your current living situation? No, I'm by myself. Um, but by myself, I have a little cat that I, that I look after. Um, but yeah, I'm just by myself. When you were growing up, you said this is something that you had to learn to grow with. What was the first most difficult thing that you found that you couldn't do that maybe other people could do? Tie my shoelaces. So that, I didn't learn to tie my shoelaces until late high school. And it's different growing up. I grew up in a fairly small town. Um, so, you know, everyone at school knew me. Everyone accepted me. I was the only kid with a disability there. But they did treat me like normal. It wasn't until my late teens, early 20s, that I actually realised I am different. There is something different here. And that took a lot to deal with. And I didn't really accept my disability until early to mid-20s. And that took a lot. It took a lot to go. I am different. Um, yeah, it it's hard to go. I can't do everything that other people can do. You know, going even you going to the beach or something like that. I can't go out back because I'm not a strong person because I don't have the muscle control. Um, 
So that that was difficult to go. I can't keep up the way I want to with my peers or with my friend group. Um, and I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky to have friends and family around me that have made adjustments to include me in things. For people that can't see you um, and are wondering why it's hard for you to tie up your shoelaces and have um, next to no idea about cerebral palsy, yep. what happens to your body when you have cerebral palsy? So I have what you call spastic cerebral palsy. Um, so basically cerebral palsy is a somewhat disconnect between your brain and your muscles. So in very, very basic terms, it is the signal from your brain to your muscles gets somewhat jagged. And because of the palsy, your mind muscles are always, always in spasm. So the like a rubbed hand, when when you're constantly stretching it, your the rubbed band will give and stretch and become bigger. Where when you got cerebral palsy, that rubbed band is always tight. And that's exactly what my muscles are. They're always tight. So that means that because of this in it, I don't have control, complete control of my muscles. And because of the tightness, they're always contracting. So I get involuntary movements. So people that can't see me, I'll... You know, my arms will randomly start shaking, um, things like that. So, because of that, a lot of, and cerebral palsy also affects your balance. So, walking, I, I, the best way to describe it is I walk with a limp constantly. And that not because of a, misalignment or anything, that is just my muscles are so tight and so contracted that when uh, striding out correctly or what they say normal is just can't happen because of the tightness in the muscle. And so, you know, would it be fair to say you, it's very hard for your heels to touch the ground when you're walking? Your hands feel like they're constantly cramped and they're tight, you yep. know, and, and so when you come to tying your shoelaces, it's like you're trying to tell each individual finger to do a loop and the mind's got multiple signals going to each finger and you're going, this is a complex nightmare. And, yep. um, you know, uh, and it, it, it's one of those things where, you know, we, we would take that for granted if we didn't have cerebral palsy, you know, we just get up and tie our shoelaces and it would all be good yeah but that's just one example and i'm sure there's many more whether it's putting a t-shirt on mm. putting your pants on you know getting home after a night on a few beers and i know you've had a few beers before <laughs> that's for sure 100 percent. fun fact is <laughs> I, it actually walked straight when i had a few drinks <laughs> you're joking yeah <laughs> really because that the whole relaxes your muscles fuck you know what so when i was um playing cricket for my um for my club when i was in my 20s our second grade scorer he had cerebral palsy and he was a fish he sunk piss better than anyone we actually had at an end of season cricket trip which i attempted um we had what's called the carl heiser which was like nine pints in like i think it was like two hours or something crazy yeah and we just didn't know how he did it now you've just given me you know, like it relaxes the muscles so you yeah. feel like you're okay so well, that's interesting. Maybe, you know, to boost your calories, you can have a couple of beers at lunch and you'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how my boss would feel about that. But, um, <laughs> like, for me, it was a conscious... I don't drink. Um, that that was a conscious decision for me because it is a very delicate balance between feeling good and completely going off the edge. Yeah. Um, so... 
you know, for me, drinking is something that I don't feel necessary. Um, although, yes, it can relieve and um, relax and relieve tension and pain. Um, I don't feel, for me anyway, it's something that I'm comfortable doing because, you know, I've had some bad experiences going out drinking, you know, a lot of the time security, they don't understand disability or um, disabilities, they see someone not walking straight in the, in the club or a pub and immediately oh, they're intoxicated, they're out when you're completely sober. Um, and in that situation, there's no reasoning. It just, you're out. Um, so I made a conscious decision um, that drinking was not something for me. It's amazing to think that, like, you know, drinking might help you ease some of the muscle, I guess, spasms or tension, but you've opted not to go for it because of some of the consequences. I think there's a lot of people you know, that use drinking, especially for themselves, to, to numb the pain, right? Yeah. You know, it, it numbs things. And, um, you know, we, we see that in society so often where there's a culture around, you know, either A, drinking, you know, every night just a little bit or B, getting absolutely blind on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is to escape or to numb what's going on. What have you used in your years growing up to help deal with numbing the pain and what has worked and what have you regretted taking or using to assist that? Um, for me, I I never really tried to numb the pain. Um, again, cerebral palsy is something that I've had since birth. I know no different. Um, doctors have said you can try Botox, you can try all these other things, but for me, my disability is part of me. And yes, there are options to somewhat numb the pain or remove it or something like that, but I don't feel my disability part of me. I don't I don't have a negative feeling towards it. It's part of me. Um it doesn't define who I am. It doesn't define what I do. It is just something that I have. It is something that is it part of me and it's part of my life? Um, so it's an acceptance thing. It's accepting me as me. And although I have to deal with certain things that are outside the normal, um, that is what I have to do to be me. Um, and I've accepted that. I just could imagine someone listening to that and just going, wow, I've got to really embrace who I am. This is who I am. You know, yeah. I've been given this body and this mind and I'm going to make the most of it. When you said you, when you said you were growing up and you had doctors tell you what you can and you can't do and, you know, and and sort of define your path for you. What did they say? And were they right? So, um, one thing that my parents had told me is a doctor told them that I would never walk or talk. I would be confined to a wheelchair and would basically need 24-hour care. Round the clock, yeah. Um, 
obviously I'm I'm talking right now. <laughs> I can walk, I can run, I can ride a bike. Um so and that was back in the nineties where, you know, he, I think society perception is different and medical the medical industry had changed. Um so for me yeah, that that diagnosis of you're never gonna walk or talk completely wrong. And don't get me wrong, it had taken a lot of work and a lot of determination not only from me but my family. Um there been there been a lot of work to even get eat and feed myself. Um but very hard and still, you know, <laughs> it's sometimes fun going on date because I'll randomly throw some food across the house, <laughs> across the table because I'll have a spasm and get food gone, fl- <coughs> food gone flying. Um, <laughs> so things like that is um, can be difficult. But it's all about just accepting and going, okay, um, it is a lot of work to get to where I am. Um, and I've constantly got to work to help my, my body maintain itself and to have control over my body. Um, yeah. I am so intrigued about dating. Um, we just had a bit of a conversation with our last guest about it, but I'm going to hold that and, and just ask one more question around support and then we'll get yeah. into the juicy stuff because I'm so <laughs> pumped to hear about your dating life and stories. And, and I have spoken to you outside of this about a little bit of stuff, so yeah, I'm, I'm keen to, to dive into it. But you mentioned your family and, and the support and growing up with a disability in what sounds like a smaller community, you would have had a bit of support. When that support stops and you move out of home, you go on the big smoke, you've got people that don't know you from birth that presume and judge and do all those things. Mm. How do you support yourself? And what was it that you were taught growing up around support that allowed you to do that? Uh, great question, actually. Um, I guess for me, I'll, I'm a very determined person. I'm very hard-headed. If I set my mind to something, I'm going to do it. Um, and that being my men- mentality my entire life. Um, so when I did you know, leave home and leave that support network. Um, it was very much, okay, I need to make this work. There is no other option. And I think, like, there were times that I did see regressions in myself where I, I could not think myself properly because I had not been looking after myself um, and therefore my cerebral palsy was taking over my body. Um, so it was it was a fine balancing act between enjoying myself and going, I need to do what's right for me. Um, and through understanding that and then going, okay, what do I need to to maintain myself and maintain um, my lifestyle? I went and reached out to different therapy services. Um, that really helped and I made huge improvements in that way. Um, in terms of social... It's it's a strange one. I, again, I'll, 
So from home, I went straight to uni. I went to a fairly small university. Um, again, everyone knew me there. I, I walked around the uni and someone said hello. I had no idea who you were, but hello. <laughs> um, so everyone knew me, everyone accepted me. Um, yes, I had to make allowances for myself. Um, such as finding different ways to uni lectures, um, things like that. I know, and the university, most universities, or well, I think all universities, are very supportive of people with disabilities now. Um, I know my exams, I did separate exams. Um, because I'm a slow writer, I did it on the laptop. Um, Again, slow typer, even though I work in IT and I'm on a computer 20 all the time, slow typer. Um, so I had extended time to do that. Um, in, in terms of going out and making friends, yeah, it, it can be very difficult because people judge you on your... On First sight, um, and you know, as a uni student, you want to go out to clubs and you know enjoy yourself. And sometimes that was not possible. You know, I've been kicked out of nightclubs multiple times, being sober because I had cerebral palsy. Um, I'm I'm very thankful the university I went to they had a bar on on campus and I was actually very good friends with the security team there because they all knew me and you know I I go out to that bar and yeah you know, they had a new security guard that come up to me and I did do that. And then another security guard would come over and go, oh, don't worry, that did that one, mate. He's got thick hair, mate. There's, he's all good sort of thing. And I wouldn't get kicked out. So it actually drew myself and, and build friendships. Um, but yeah, it can be difficult because people are so quick to judge based on first impressions. That's... Um and that's across the board and I think there's a high level of anxiety in today's sort of world. Mm. How did you manage that anxiety? You said you, you got a little bit of help, you you went out there, you spoke to some people. What were some of the people that you spoke to and what were the main things that you learnt to be able to manage any of those social anxieties that you sort of had to deal with? Yeah, it, um, big one was just accepting myself. Accepting that people people will judge you, and they're allowed to judge. And if they judge me for having cerebral palsy, that's their loss. Um, that's their problem, not mine. Um, one of the funniest things I do at the moment is if I see someone out publicly and they're staring at me. I just ran and walked up to him and stick out my hand and go, hey, hey, young, I'm Declan. You should see the look on their faces, the complete shock and horror. They've just been staring at me because I'm walking weirdly and now I'm in their face. Um, so I think a lot of it is accepting yourself for who you are and going, this is me. This is my life. Um, people can judge, but I don't care because they don't know what I've been through. They don't know what it's like. Um, and their, their judgment, I don't care. Their criticism, I don't care. Because that's their problem, not mine. How do you go when people provide you feedback then so for instance when i was growing up i worked as a lifeguard and one of the things that we got taught was 
that when you're speaking to someone that may have a disability is not to sugarcoat things because the last thing you want is to be treated quote unquote differently yep. you want to be told straight yep if i go declan that haircut mate is no good, which is, by the way, a complete lie because that haircut <laughs> is sensational. And I told <laughs> you the other day, I'm like, fuck, you look good. That beard, that haircut, oh. But, if you know, if, 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 if you have had that in the past, how have you dealt with feedback that you thought maybe was cushioned because of the fact that you had ZP? Yeah, that happened all the time. Um, you know, people, people try to be delicate around disability because they don't understand... They don't understand what it is. Um, they don't understand um, how to deal with it. And I, I think it's changing at the moment a little bit. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, I'm a human. Um, and I expect it to be treated that way. Um, if someone's trying to sugarcoat it, I tell them straight, you know, tell me what you want to say or that sort of thing. Um, you know, I'm I'm someone that straight up and down. Um, so I've had people, you know, try to give me allowances because of my disability, but um, I won't take them. I won't take that that allowance. Oh. I'll do it the hard way. Um, and, you know, I've also had people going, oh, you, you know, you might not be able to do something or you won't be able to do this. You know, in my mind, once you, once you say that to me, oh, I'm going to prove you wrong. No matter what, I'm going to prove you wrong. Um... So I think being straight up with anybody and doesn't matter what what life they come from, being straight up with them, they're a human. Um, I think that's really what anyone wants. And you know, I've talked to a lot of people with disability, um, and I'm making generalization here. We just want to be treated as a person. You got told that there are a lot of things that you can't do. And there was one thing that you showed me the other day, which is riding your trike. Yep. Now, for those that don't know, you are a weapon <laughs> on the trike. Like a fucking weapon. You've got German engineered bloody bars, <laughs> your super lightweight frame. And and you put me on it the other day. Yep. And I could not ride it to save myself. Because if you turn left, you go right. It was one of those situations. Give me an idea around playing sport, riding bikes you're now at a pretty elite level with that. Where are you at? What are your goals? And how'd you get to it? Yeah, so I've played sport my entire life. Um, you know, in in school, I was one of those kids. Every recess and lunch, I was out on the field kicking a ball. Um, I would get injured every single day um, that I'd get up and keep going. Um, I, I've done a lot of sport. I've represented the, the state in four different sports, athletics, tennis, bowling, football, and something else, I can't remember. Um, but I've done a lot of different things, and I think sport is a great, thing for people with disabilities is a, it's a leveler. His sport is so inclusive. You, know, you can play soccer no matter what. You know, there's always an adaption you can do to a sport to make it more inclusive. Um, for me, I, I play soccer um, Represented Queensland twice, um, trained and played seven days a week, and then I had an accident in 2020 and um, 
that changes the course of my life. I can no longer play football. Um, I call it football. <laughs> um, and then I took up cycling, and because of my CP and my balance, I'm unable to ride a bike. I, I had tried, um, came off a number of times, put my leg open, um, did all sorts of things, and that's when I went, okay, let's try it, try it. And Trikes are not easy to get. Um, there's only a handful in Australia. Um, and, yeah, there's only a few people that make them in the world. So I had to... It took me nearly three years to get my current trike. It took me three years of research. Um, trying to get funding all that sort of stuff to do this. Um, and I only got it last year, late last year. So since then I've been able to compete um, around Australia. And, you know, I'm lucky enough here in Melbourne we have um, the a nine-time world champion in the female track riders. Um, so very lucky to have her here in Melbourne and we I go and work with her. Um and the goal the goal is to well the short term goal is to get to nationals in January and then um on to hopefully the international stage. You said you had an accident? Yep. What happened? So I played football, as I said, um I was playing a social, Thursday night social comp um, as a goalkeeper. And I remember this night very, yeah, I remember it quite well. Because there was something that wasn't sitting with me right that night. I could tell something was wrong. But I went and played anyway. Um, yeah, and what happened was there was a um, attacking player coming towards me, towards my goal. Um, I saw he took a heavy touch ball, was out in front of him, so split set in decision. I went out to take control of the ball, um, went to ground to take control of the ball. Um, as I'd done that, he tried to jump over me. Um, didn't... I kind of hit the ground and bounced a little bit. He didn't quite get high enough. Um, and I took a knee to the face, um, which basically, I won't get too graphic, um, basically broke every bone in the right side of my face, um, fractured my skull, Completely shattered my eye socket. Um, yeah, through that I had to have a facial reconstruction. Um, I now have five metal plates in my face. Um, they had to completely rebuild my eye socket. Um, and yeah, that's a long, long recovery. And I remember that entire thing. I was conscious the entire time. Um, like, when it happened, I actually tried to get up. And it was only my my teammate flaring at me going, get that on the ground. Like, you got blood pouring out your face, get that on the ground. Um, and, yeah, we didn't realise until about five hours later that that much damage had been done. You were how old? Well, 28. You were 28? Yep. So that was two years ago? Uh, three years ago, 2020. Three years ago. Yep. 2020 this week, actually. You've built up so much resilience up until that moment. Yep. You've gotten through shit that people said you couldn't get through. When you needed a facial reconstruction big part of that would obviously be, I'm sure, and, and I could be wrong, but your speech 
and getting your muscles to work again and to, you know, try to mobilise your jaw and your neck and areas which are already tight as anything. Mm. How did you go managing that? Was it something that you had built so much steel, so much mental resilience that you were able to just take it in your stride or, you know, you it impacted you in a big way that changed the course of who you are now? Yeah, it was definitely a difficult time. Um, I was actually going through a very bad breakup at that exact time as well. Um, so, yeah, it was all just mental, mental, you know, I'm, I'm used to run marathon events, so it was all that mind over, mind over type stuff. You know, I ain't going to get through this. And, yeah, it was tough because I think I, I had a bit of PTSD um, because I realised that I can no longer play football and that was my life. My life revolved around football. Um, that was my dream. I wanted to represent Australia playing football and... That was gone. <laughs> so, yeah, I basically had to reinvent myself, um, rediscover what I love, what I can do. Um, and it wasn't so much the physical of getting my speech or anything like that. It was more the mental of what I love in my life it gone and I can't do it again. And I did try. I did try to play football again and I couldn't. So, um, yeah, I saw a psychologist um, through that breakup and um, with their help, I was able to just sort of go, okay, how can we do that? How can we... We redefine who I am, nearly. Um, rediscover a love for sport, a different sport, but I knew that I would not be the same if I did not have sport in my life. And I was very, very lucky. I have, I had a great support network, and I still have a great support network. Um, my personal trainer, she will maybe get support and she's one of my best friends. Um, she, you know, she was the one that got me through and I'll forever be thankful for her and um, the network that I had throughout that time. There are a lot of people that go through career-defining moments and career-defining injuries playing sport. You see players in AFL do their hamstring one more time. You see motor car crashes or, you know, motorbike accidents that mean that people can't get back onto the thing that they love. I don't think enough people go and seek help when that happens because sport can take an incredible part of one's life. Mm. And when you stop, and you stop for no reason of your own, it's a hard pill to swallow. It's hard to fuck... It's hard to, like, fathom that that's it. You know, you had no choice in the matter. It was done. Yeah, Yeah, you you leave behind yourself. And, you know, in those times, you do feel at your lowest. And I think it's really important to... To seek help and to to rely on your support networks, and for me, I, I was someone that would always internalize everything that I did. Would always internalize my struggles, um, and it wasn't until I actually sought help and um, sort of went on my network that I went. Okay, 
I can do this and there are people out there that I can trust. Um, and yeah, through seeking help, that changed who I am today. Um, and it doesn't even have to be seeking help. Um, it can be reading. It can be self, self-reflection, um, self-discovery, um, learning, all that sort of stuff. And one of the biggest things that helped me was I actually discovered Bernie Brown. Um, she's a psychology lecturer in the US. That's a very, very underselling her, but um, she's an incre- incredible woman. And I watched her Netflix documentary, um, and that that gave me hope. That gave me hope. At the time that you had that accident, you said you were going through a bad breakup. Yep. I want you to take me back to the first time that you went on a date and and how that was for you because I'm picturing young Declan, beard still looking the same, <laughs> hair's up, fresh as anything. You know, I don't know if you were a gel or a wax man. I'm thinking you were a gel man back yeah. in the day. <laughs> 100%. The slick look. What, what was it like going and dating? And, and how is it dating when you do have a disability? Do you, you know... It's a totally different world yeah. for, for me to understand. Can you explain to me what it looks like, who you date, how you date, why you d- all of the rest? Yeah. Um, yeah, I can tell you a thousand stories of dating. Um, I want to hear all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it is difficult. Like, as I said before, first impressions, they count and they matter. Um I I know of one, you know, online dating is all rage, and as someone that doesn't like to go out drinking or doesn't like going out clubbing, it's kind of one of the only options you have. Um, and I remember one, was talking to someone for a fairly long time, um, decided to meet up and. First time they saw me, they turned around and ran the other way. Uh, they did. I said hello to them, and they just legged it. They literally ran the other way. Um. Yeah. So it can be can be difficult. Um. And I think today's society. Um. <sighs> Has a lot of emphasis on aesthetic and things like that, um, which when you got a disability, it, you know, if you mention disability, it's sort of goodbye sort of thing. Okay, that's too hard to deal with. Move on. Um, and I've been like, yeah, I've dated a few people, a few amazing people. Um, and, yeah, it can be tough, but once you find that person, it can be amazing, like, once you get through that first initial, I'm not going to say shock, because it shouldn't be a shock, um, but once you accept, okay, this, this person had something, doesn't define them, then you actually get to know the person for who they are. And for me, like, I know my disability doesn't define me. Um, But when you're dating, you know, people see that first, first impression or they hear the word disability and they run and... Sometimes, literally, unfortunately, <laughs> um, <laughs> it is it is difficult to um, to sort of explain. Hey, this is me. You know, you got to get past that to find out who I actually am. 
when you went on your first date, what did you wear? How did you feel? And who oh. was she? Can you remember? Well, I didn't have beard. I didn't have beard at this stage. I was clean shaven. Clean shaven? How clean old, shaven. roughly? How old do you reckon you were? Um, Early 20s. Early 20s. University days? Yeah. Clean shaven. Um, nearly bald. Nearly bald. Um, probably dressed terribly. <laughs> um... I actually can't remember. I can't remember. Um, what about your first person you ever really, really liked? Did you ever go up to her and say, I like you? Yeah. Yeah. How old were you? I would have been 17. And that was the end of our friendship. <laughs> That's so hard. Yeah. That's so hard. I think there's a lot of guys that fall in the boat that they have a friend that there's... You know, and you should be able to have girlfriends that are just friends, but sometimes yeah. for some guys there are girlfriends which you go, shit, I hope we can make this something more. But there's the risk. Oh, yeah. There's the risk yeah. that, you know, if you say that I'm interested in you and they're not, that's it. Yep. It's done. So you've literally had a friend of yours that's decided after you said that not to be friends, you've had someone run away from you in a date. And yet, the, from what I've I've known you now for the best part of a year, yep. you are one of the most optimistic, bubbly, <laughs> smiley, cheeky, I'm going to say pricks because I know <laughs> you give me so much shit when we catch up. Yep. And, and I want to know how you keep that. Because it's, it's, it's extraordinary. It, it honestly is. Like... People have one little thing go wrong and fucking the whole world comes crashing down. You are just like, no, nah, not me. Yeah, it, that you really like to hear that, so thank you. Um, I think it just comes from that hard-headedness. I am going to just do what I need to do. Um, and don't get me wrong, you get, you get down, you get knocked down. A hell of a lot. But it really is how you get that up. And, you know, I've, you know, I went through some pretty hard times in the last sort of six months. Um, but when you have, when you, when you know what you really want in life and you go, okay, this is what I want, this is what I deserve, then it's not so hard to go, Okay, I deserve better than this. I need to keep going. Um, and yeah, it is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that. It is hard. There are days where you do not want to get out of bed. There are days you do not want to do anything. But when you really set yourself and go, okay, what do I want to achieve in life? Whether that be sport, career, dating, family, whatever it is, when you really set that and really turn it in and go, this is what I want, you've got to keep driving towards it. And for me, that's always been my mentality. And even from a young age, that determination to do something, to achieve something, to prove people wrong. Uh, <laughs> when people tell you you can't do something, that's a big driver. But getting that men mentality from an early age has really helped me to just keep pushing forward. And probably one of my downfalls is I don't reflect on things. I don't reflect on what I've achieved. I don't reflect on where I am. I'm always looking forward. Um, and it can be good and it can be bad because <laughs> you've really got to reflect on where you come from, understand it, 
make peace with it, make peace with the difficult stuff. Once you do that, you can push forward and achieve what you want to achieve. Tell me, what's Declan want? What's your goals now? Um, my goals... The biggest one is to enjoy my cycling. Build, build up to be, you know, on the international competition stage. Um, yeah, the goals around, you know, having a family, um, all that sort of stuff. But for me right now, the desire to compete in sport and cycling has never been so strong in my life. Um, I've always had a desire to compete and to put on that green and gold. Um, and for me, that is a big, big thing for me right now. Before we wrap this up, I, I mean, I'm absolutely... I'm lost for words for what this conversation has brought to to my life already. And I've known you for a year. There are people that have never met you that are going to take so many things away from this conversation. And I'm, I can't express like how honestly, how grateful I am. I think that was one of our cues that we had to practice before yeah. we, yeah. we had a, that game that we play before we do our podcast. And I honestly am like, mate, I'm so grateful for you being here because it takes a great deal of courage to be able to, put across what you've been through, the lessons you've learnt and how you keep showing up. Before we go, if there is anyone listening that either A, has a disability but is struggling or B, maybe they just aren't able to deal with the pressures of life, mm. what's one thing that you could tell them to do that maybe might change that that negative pathway that they're going on right now? Yeah, that's a very difficult question because everyone has their own thing. Everyone has their own challenges. And I think the best thing you can do is understand it for what it is and accept it for what it is. And then work on it, break it down and work on it. Um, if you're out there and you've got a disability and you're struggling, um, yeah, you think disability does not define you, does not define what you can achieve. If you want to achieve something, go and do it. Like... There are plenty of people out there that are willing to help you achieve whatever you want to achieve. Um, you did got to make that decision if I ain't going to do it. Declan, thank you. Honestly, this has been like the most amazing experience. I can't wait to continue following your journey on the trikes. Thanks. Seeing you get into that international stage. Seeing the new girl that you're dating, <laughs> wherever or whenever that is, I already know a bit of goss, but that's for us to talk outside of these, <laughs> outside of the mic, and and maybe we might get some engagement on socials to to get you some questions. Yeah, you do a lot of public presenting, and and if people want to reach out to you and maybe get you to come out and talk and and you know speak about what you've just spoken here and you know maybe shed some inspiration on some people that could need it how do they find you and, and how do they reach out to you um message get me on on instagram um that one rides tracks um yeah i don't have a pr team or anything it's just me um yeah that, that's the best way to reach out i love i love sharing this message i love trying to help people. I love trying to spread awareness of what disability is. Um, and, yeah, that is what I'm passionate about. So 
Yeah, definitely reach out. Awesome. Thanks, my man. No, thanks for having me.